Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, December the 28th, 2022. It is currently 4.36 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. So what do you think is going to happen? Come on, make your predictions. Make your predictions right now. What is going to happen? Is Matthew 14 going to make an appearance in this sermon, or were we all misled, all tricked, all duped, and I fell for it? Come on, what do you think? What is your prediction Is Matthew 14 going to show up? Some of you are absolutely convinced, no way, you've made it, you've made it, what, 32 minutes into this sermon, and even though (laughs) it says the text for the sermon is Matthew 14, there's not even been a hint of Matthew 14 at this point. So some of you are like, you just give up. It's not going to happen. You wasted your time. I'm trying to be optimistic. I'm trying to believe that Matthew 14 is going to make an appearance in this sermon that we are reviewing, okay? And I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope I'm right. If not, I'm going to feel like, what in the world was all of this about? All right, so welcome to another episode of the Bible Study Exercise podcast series, where we are currently involved in a seven-week study on the subject of fear. We've looked at a number of very important passages of Scripture dealing with fear. You should go back and listen to all of the podcast episodes. But for this week's study, we turn to Matthew chapter 14. And I made kind of a passing remark that as we're looking at Matthew 14, I'm going to grab some random sermons and we're going to review them because I'll be very interested to see how most pastors handle Matthew 14 because I feel, and I believe that this is a problem, right? <laughs> okay, all right. Someone just said, I bet there's at least one wheel coming off the rails. Okay, I'm, so far this thing has been really bad, but okay, okay. I, I, I'm reading a chat for those who have no idea what's going on. All right, so I made this passing remark that I'm just going to choose some random sermons. And here's the reason why is I feel that most pastors... Take Matthew 14, and if you don't know the story, this is where Jesus comes walking on the water, and the the disciples are in the boat, there's a storm, they get scared thinking it's a spirit, Peter's like, if it's really you, tell me to come to you, and Peter hops out of the boat, and he walks on the water, then he starts looking around, he sees the storm, he starts sinking, Jesus, save me, Jesus saves him, they get in the boat, and then the disciples worship Jesus, all right? Very, very, very uh, well-known story. But I believe that most pastors, inadvertently, maybe this is not even what they t- intend to do, but it, they, it, it stops becoming so much a historical narrative and it becomes an allegory, right? There's Jesus. He's walking on the water in the midst of the storm. See, when you're in the storms of life and now the storms become the storms of life. When you're in the storms of life, sooner or later, Jesus will show up in the midst of the storm. And if you will show your faith by getting out of the boat, you can walk on the water. You can walk through the storms with Jesus. But if you lose your focus, you'll start sinking. But Jesus will save you and put you in the boat. Something along those those lines. And I question a little bit of that because I'm like, I don't know if is this was this story intended for it to all of a sudden turn into a story about us or was this a story to focus on Jesus, his power over nature, demonstrating his divinity? Or was this supposed to turn into a prescribing what you and I are supposed to do in the storms of life? This is, is this about the storms of life or was it about an actual storm? Now people say, well, it's, it's about an actual storm, but it really becomes a picture of all of these other things. So I, I question that, but I, but I wanted to give, you know, just choose random sermons and just see how they would handle them. That, that was the, it sounded like a great idea, right? Hey, we'll review a couple of sermons and it'll be fun to see they handle it this way or this way. And maybe, maybe they can convince me in their preaching that my perspective is wrong and their perspective is right. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of listening to different preaching is because you, it may challenge your perception or your interpretation. And you always want to, to put yourself in a position where you can be, you can learn that you're wrong and you can change your mind. So that was the goal, but it was kind of a passing remark. So 
One night, 2 or 3 a.m., I reached over, grabbed my iPad, said Matthew 14, grabbed the very first sermon and said, started listening, was like, whoa, this, this is not what I would expect for a sermon on Matthew 14. Immediately stopped. And why do I stop? Because when I review sermons, I don't like to review them in advance. Because if I review them in advance, this becomes like a, it's like I rehearsed for it. This becomes more like a performance. I want it to be like, hey guys, I'm getting ready to listen to this sermon. Let's listen to it together in real time. And my reactions are real. Now there's good things about that. There's bad things about that. Because a lot of times I don't know really what's coming. And so sometimes I'm left like, Wait, what, what, what just happened? And I don't even know what to say. But another reason I do that is because I don't want anyone to ever feel that I just went and got a bad sermon so that I can just use it to bash. No, the, really the goal is always to listen, to really learn, to really see. Now, I may be critical of it, but it's not that I'm being critical of the person. I'm being critical maybe of the ideas, of the hermeneutical method that is being utilized. That's why I, I don't even mention the name. I don't mention the church churches because it's not about the person. They're putting forth the idea publicly on the internet they're posting it on the internet, and then I'm simply reacting and listening to it in real time for analysis, critique, right, for educational purposes, and then I do it in such a way that it transforms the original content into something completely different and unique, and I'm using that language specifically because that's the, the rules for the fair use law. Uh, when you're using other uh, people's content, it, it's for it's nonprofit because I don't charge money. It's uh, it's for critique, review, and education, and it's transformative because we're not just listening to the sermon and then at the end going, "What do you think?" We are interrupting and critiquing and backing it up and doing all of these things to turn it into something completely different. So. Um, I thought it was a brilliant idea. I thought it was a brilliant idea, but I found this sermon. It was the first sermon I found. And wow, I I really don't know what to say. We have spent 32 minutes. We, we've spent 32 minutes listening, hours plus. I think we're all going two and a half hours reviewing. And I I don't know what to say. Number one, Matthew 14 has not shown up in any way, shape, or form, which is extremely disappointing. And secondly, it's been a like a perfect example of what I call Christian doublespeak, where we say one thing, then contradict ourselves in the very next. It's circular reasoning. It's logical fallacies all over the place. It's a little bait and switch. It's crazy because here's what we've learned. Okay. There are Christians who are enslaved to sin. They have these horrible addictions. It is horrible. They're destroying their life. They're destroying their family. They're destroying others. It's a horrible thing, and we're here to help you. And the first thing you need to know is you've been set free from that. Now, you've been set free, but you could still be enslaved to it. Why are you enslaved to it? Because you volunteered to be enslaved to it. However, it doesn't seem that you can just volunteer to be un, to, to break free from it, even though you're supposedly free. So you're free, but you can be enslaved. But the only reason you're enslaved is because you volunteered, but you can't just seem to just volunteer to stop. So you have to go through a process. You have to go through this process. You need a mentor, you need counseling, and you need to take certain steps. And if you take these steps in a five or six week kind of program, you can see some, some benefits. However, at the same time, we are told you used to commit these sins, but you no longer commit these sins because you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified. However, even though you used to do it and now you don't, you can still do it. And the reason you still do it is because three things are supposedly missing from your life. Now, he never says the reason you continue to sin and struggle with sin is because you have depravity in you. Depravity gets ignored and just not even mentioned in the sermon. It's because you're missing three things. You're missing power from God. You're missing fulfillment in God. And you're missing uh, the fear of God. Now, you've got to have all three. So if you will have the, if you'll get the power of God, if you'll get fulfillment in God and the fear of God, then Matt, then I, I guess it, it almost sounds like you won't sin anymore. But at the same time, we're told we're still going to sin, but yet we're free, but we have power. It's just, it's all over the place. 
But then what we learned, what was really fascinating is power is available. You have power to stop sinning. It's yours. However, you've got to take steps to get it. So before you get the power, you've got to use your power in order to get the power. And what you have to do in your own strength is you have to do a couple of things. Number one, you have to pray. Now you've got to learn to pray and you've got to, and the more you pray, the more you increase the depth of your prayer life, the quality of your prayer life, and it appears the quantity of your prayer life, the more you will do that, the more power you will access. So you've got to use your own power, your own strength, and your own discipline to pray so that you can get the power, so that you can access that power and activate said power so that you can stop sinning. It is so confusing. It's so confusing. Because if I have all of this power to get the power, why would I just work on using that power to stop doing what I'm doing? I don't know. It's all over the place. So you got to pray more. And now what we're, we've arrived in the sermon where it's going to go, you have to pray more, and then you know what's coming second. You've got to read your Bible more. You see, if you'll pray more and read more, then you can get the power. But you've got to do these things in your own strength because these are the ways you get to the power. So I don't, I'm a really perplexed. Like you, you have to discipline, you have to do. It's all, it's basically from a, if you listen to our series on law and gospel, this is law, 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 law. You got to do all of these things. If you do enough, do it right, then you get power. It, it's really crazy. So we're up to the point where now he's going to tell us we need to do something with our Bibles. I still don't know where Matthew 14 is in any of this. I am still baffled and confused because it's literally when I search Matthew 14, this is the first sermon that popped up. And then literally underneath the title of the sermon, right? It's about getting the power of God. It has Matthew 14 and Mark 6, which is, I think, the uh, other account of Jesus walking on the water in the midst of the storm. So I'm like, but so far, Mark has not been mentioned. Matthew hasn't been mentioned. <laughs> nothing about Jesus walking on the water. Nothing about us getting out of the boat. So I, I believe it has to occur at some point. But it's just crazy that the text for the sermon, 33 minutes in, <laughs> we, we have not even, <laughs> we, we haven't even driven within a million miles of the text. It's really crazy. So I, I don't know what's getting ready to happen. I don't know how long we're going to go. Uh, we have we have uh, 44 minutes left of the sermon, 44 minutes left of the sermon, which, of course, in review time, that's probably two hours, three hours. So obviously, we're not going to go two or three hours because I have church tonight. I've got to be standing behind a pulpit teaching on law and gospel. So, um, <laughs> well, I guess what we're going to do is we're just I'm just going to see how far we can get. I'm just going to. I'm just, if I could, if I find a, a natural stopping point, if I'm like, oh, this is a natural stopping point, then I will stop there and then maybe come back and do a late night sermon review and try to finish this. I, I would like to be done with this, but ah, it was such a good idea. Uh, hey, let's see how other people handle Matthew 14. And after almost two hours, no, over two hours, two and a half hours, almost three hours, we we got nothing. <laughs> We got nothing other. I, this, in fact, this sermon has, would fit in more with our discussion on law and gospel and on justification and sanctification than it would anything else. But here we go. I hope you're ready. I'm not ready, but I, I, I so you may want to grab a Bible. I don't know if you're going to need it. Something to write with something to drink. And, and I would say it needs to be, it needs to be strong, but I, I don't drink alcohol. But I, at this moment, I'm really starting to second guess that, that to see, I'm joking. It's a joke, ladies and gentlemen, it's a joke. All right. But here we go. And remember, again, this is not about the person. This is about, I don't understand. I, I, well, I don't, about sermon structure. I don't understand what, why Matthew 14 is the text, I don't understand anything. But here we go. Let's jump back in right now. Okay, that's under prayer. Next, Scripture. Um, this is the second primary way that the Holy Spirit exerts influence. Remember, what we're trying to do is, 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 is subject ourselves more to the Holy Spirit's influence. Um, and, and He exerts His influence through the sword of the what? Spirit, right? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
um, uh, Ephesians 6. So the, the Holy Spirit, he inspired the scriptures. And then what does he do? He, he enlightens us and enables us to receive, understand and receive and accept and be receptive to the truths of the Spirit. That's ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, so, so the only thing that ha- has enough power to give you victory over sin, the only thing that has enough power to change your heart is grace, right? And grace comes when the truths of the Word of God are absorbed into your heart. Okay, so the only thing that can change you is grace, but the only way to obtain said grace is you have to do a lot of work, (laughs) okay? Hey, grace will change you, but you get this grace when you commit yourself to daily prayer, and it must be uh, the the quality of the prayer and the quantity of the prayer uh, must reach a certain level before you get more of it. And now, if you want, grace will change you. And how do you get it? It's through right here. It's through the Word of God. So now you got to dedicate yourself. I'm again. Once again, I'm, I'm assuming the quality and the quantity will determine the amount of grace, whether that you will get or not get, so that you then get the power, so then you can supposedly overcome sin. But of course, you'll never will overcome sin completely. Yeah, it's it's yeah. Let's continue. And so you gotta have grace. So you're gonna need the, you're gonna need the word of God. Um, step one of absorbing God's word into your heart is to read it. <laughs> so open it up and read it, or listen to it. Um, sometimes people ask me, "Does it count if I just listen?" You know, because I don't I don't read very well, but I like I put them on Bible on CD or something. Uh, yeah, that counts. That's like most. Bible on CD? What year was this preached? 1990s? Well, 1980s? I mean, who would, who would be listening to the Bible on CD in 2022? Okay, I, I don't know. I, I, just, I know that doesn't matter, but I mean, it, who? Bible on CD? You got the version Bible app? You can listen to it. The Blue Letter Bible app? You can listen to it? It just seems, okay, all right, I digress. Believers throughout the centuries didn't own a Bible. I mean, Bible's really meant to be heard. So hearing the word is great. Um, but one way or another, it's absolutely essential that you expose yourself to the word of God through daily reading or listening. It's got, you got, you got to have that every day. Okay. So here, so grace is what we need and we obtain grace by work. That doesn't really seem that it's grace. That seems that we're earning it, but I digress. So we got to pray, and it seems that we have to pray every single day, and we need to increase. Now, he said that we could start off by doing 10 minutes a day, two times a week. But if we really want to get the power, we got to increase that. But when it comes to Scripture, he seems to be dogmatic. Every single day, you must read it. You You don't read it every day. You don't obtain the grace. You don't obtain the grace. You don't obtain the power. Therefore, you'll be in bondage to sin, even though supposedly the only reason we're in bondage to sin is because we volunteer to. But it seems like once you volunteer for it, you cannot unvolunteer for it, which I'm still trying to figure all of this out. I'm telling you, we need a chart just trying to track and trace how this all supposedly, this is as convoluted. It, it, it reminds me of kind of Roman Catholicism. We say you're saved by grace and you get an infused righteousness. You have to cooperate with the righteousness. And then you need this sacrament and this sacrament and this sacrament. Now, if you commit this sin, it's immortal. So now you're no longer in a state of grace. You got to get back in a state of grace, but you can commit these sins. They're venial. Now, at, at some point you want to try to earn indulgences and other things because you're going to die. And if you die in a state of grace, you get to purgatory and then your sins will get purged. But then people can try to pray you out of purgatory. Okay. Yeah, and we mock that, but man, the evangelical Protestant world has some just as convoluted systems when it comes to sin and can we overcome it and power and how we get the power and do we have the power? Well, we have it, but we don't. And you got to get it this way. You got to do this. You got to do this. We've got our own system. A soldier who never, he's never going to have success in fighting the battle if he starves himself. You know, we can get all technical about trying to diagnose all kinds of spiritual problems, and then it comes out, sometimes it's just a matter of, okay, you're starving yourself. <laughs> you know, 
It's like a, someone goes into the doctor and it's like, Doc, I just feel weak and, and I don't have any energy and I can't sleep. And I don't, well, are you eating food? No. I- what I find fascinating, and I know he's getting ready to go into the illustration, but I just find it fascinating that serious spiritual issues, serious struggles with sin, and after so many years, Christians basically, their, their, they, their go-to answer is, well, the reason you're having these problems is not because of the depravity that lies from within. We, all, we ignore that. The problem is you don't pray enough, you don't read your Bible enough. And it's almost like magically, if you pray more and read your Bible more, dun, 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 you stop sinning. And it doesn't work that way. You can read your Bible 100 hours a day. I know that would be impossible, obviously using exaggeration. But guess what? You still this, It doesn't make the sin nature go away. Now, I'm, I'm all for Bible reading. I'm all for it. I'm all for Bible study. That's why we do a podcast series called Bible Study Exercise. I believe people should be reading, meditating, memorizing, and engaging in Bible study on a regular, consistent basis. I absolutely do. And I do believe it's spiritually beneficial. I just know that it's not going to just magically fix all of your struggles with sin because you're going to struggle with sin all the way to glorification. But all right, let's continue. I haven't any food for weeks, you know, but I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's it. I think there's, you got I need a scan. I need some kind of, you know, medicine or What's he going to tell you? Go eat a sandwich and then come back and then see if you're still sick. I'm not going to do a scan until you go eat a sandwich. And that's, that's, that's what's the way a lot of counseling is. You just got to, got to go, go eat a sandwich. So, so expose yourself to God's word on a daily basis. Uh, read it, listen to it. Secondly, memorize it, memorize it. According to Joshua 1.8, I don't think this is optional. According to Joshua 1.8, the key to obeying God's word is to meditate on it when? Day and night. So it sounds to me like you've got two options. You can walk around like this 24 hours a day with your light on at night, or you can memorize. I don't know how else you're going to meditate day and night. You've got to commit it to memory. Now, I know you don't... Now I want you to I want you to just see this how this bizarre this is. There's power for you to overcome sin, even though you're already been set free, and even though you're only committing sin because you're volunteering to do so. But for some reason, you can't stop volunteering because you need power. Now, even though according to them, you used to commit this sin, but now you no longer do it because you've been washed. They quote from First Corinthians seven. However, even though you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified, and you used to be that, you're no longer that. You're different now, but you still sin and struggle with sin. So what you need is a good old dose of power. Now, the thing is, you don't get the power. The power is just withheld from you. It's put uh, behind, it's locked in a mountain somewhere. And here are the steps you must take in your own strength to unlock the safe with the magic power in it. Now, the way you get the magic power is you've got to start praying every single day. I mean, you, you can start slow, but you got to build up to it. You got to build up to it. You got to pray and pray and pray. It's the quality and quantity. Now, guess what else you have to do? You've got to read the Bible every single day. However, if need be, you can use the Bible on CD and listen to it, and that will suffice. Wait a minute, though. You got to do more. This is not optional. You have to memorize it. So now you need to be enrolled in a Bible memory program. Now, if you're not memorizing it, ladies and gentlemen, you don't get the grace. Because the way you access the grace is through your actions and your obedience. If you do your actions in obedience, you can get the grace. You don't get grace until you earn it. That's scary that they would even use the term grace while telling you the things you have to do in order to get it because this destroys what grace even is. But I digress. So now we're going to hear about how we have to memorize the Bible. We still haven't even got anywhere within a million miles of Matthew 14. Find it easy. Nobody finds, hardly anybody finds it easy to memorize scripture. But easy or hard, it, it, we have to find a way to do it because it's directly commanded. James, we found that in James 1.25. Where he, said, he said, look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, not forgetting what you've heard, but doing it. Now, not forgetting, we need to look intently and not forget. Would everybody agree with me that not forgetting equals remembering? <laughs> okay, 
All right, so we're on the same page there. Requires remembering. And so if we put the Word of God into practice, if we're going to want to put it into practice, we've got to commit it to memory. We've got to commit it to memory. Um, some of the exercises that I assign each week in the godliness training will include memorization. They'll include all, all of these components. I'll give you some suggested passages each week to memorize. Um, if you want freedom from enslaving sin, if you want freedom from any sin, I strongly urge that you not skip over that one. Because Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If you want to battle sin, you've got to hide your, his word in there. And I, sometimes you think, okay, well, I hide it in there. I hide the principles in there. Can I just get the principles in there? I don't, not the words, you know, just, I can't, can't get it word for word, but what if I just got the basic idea and I hide that in my heart? Is that what David is talking about? I don't think so, because look, just a couple of verses later, in verse 13, he says, with my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. He's reciting them. He's saying them. And just note, David still committed sin. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Now, now maybe you're going to argue that, no, 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 no. He's, he started the memory memorization program after, well, he committed adultery and had someone murdered but uh, and did a cover-up. I don't know. Maybe the memory started, the memorization program started after. He knew him by heart. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Dwell means to make its home in you, to live there. Um, we are to see to it that the word of Christ takes up residence in our heart and lives there. John fifteen seven, Jesus told us to make sure his word remain or abide in you. Um, uh, his words, plural. Uh, and just for clarification, because I don't want someone to walk away th- interpreting my words incorrectly. I do believe in scripture memory. I do believe in, I believe it's beneficial. I believe Bible study is beneficial. Bible reading It's just the way this is all being set up is, hey, you can basically stop sinning if you'll just pray more and read your Bible more because, see, you need grace. And the way you get grace is by doing, 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 doing. It's a very convoluted system that they're trying to establish here. Same idea. Jesus' uh, individual words are defined at permanent, ongoing dwelling place inside our hearts. Uh, I, I think that's talking about word for word. Proverbs 7.1, my son, keep, keep my words and store up my commands within you, within you, store them up. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye, bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Write them down on your heart. And if you want an example, all you have to do is look at Jesus' example. Jesus memorized scripture. He used it to fight against temptation. Three temptations in the wilderness, all three. How did he fight? Scripture. He quoted scripture. He, that he, had, he was memorizing the book of Deuteronomy. And he's quoting passages out of Deuteronomy in order to fight sin. And that's, why does the Son of God need to memorize scripture? He's God. Everything he says is the word of God is just because he said it, right? <laughs> Automatically. Why does he have to memorize scripture? He's doing that for our example. If the Son of God needed to memorize scripture to fight sin, certainly we need to do that. Did Jesus need to, like, did Jesus like, oh man, if I don't memorize this, I'm going to sin. Are you saying Jesus could have sinned? Because if he could have sinned, then he's not God because God can't sin because God is holy. So are you saying that Jesus was so weak that the only way he was able to overcome sin is by memorization? I, man, that's getting really Close to some dangerous Christology. That that's uh, getting a little. Who are we? Are we going kenosis there? I, I'm not. I'm not saying. You know, he basically laid aside his deity and lived his life simply as a man. Like I, 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 woo, I don't know. I mean, that he he had to do it, or, or uh, yeah, he he had to. Like I, I don't know. All right, here we go. Now, if you want to go into depth on that, explore that topic in Scripture, uh, I did a whole sermon on that in James 1.26, the passage on James 1.26, that, that uh, sermon entitled Intensive Stare. Um, and uh, I also did a clinic on Scripture memorization. 
Someone in chat just said, I thought he was word. Exactly. He was the word. In the beginning was the word. He was with God. He was God. Yeah, I don't, I mean, that just gets a little iffy there. Like Jesus is like, man, I'm going to be facing temptation. Okay, I got to do the the Old Testament scripture memory program and I need to start working. So there was Jesus, you know, hey, hey, Peter, come on, come on, ask me, ask me Deuteronomy. Come on, I got, I got, I got to memorize this. I got to memorize. I mean, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's, mm, that's really iffy. Now I do, I do, you couldn't, I, I'm making no, listen, I'm not making any claim that Jesus didn't quote scripture. He did. He did. All right. But I, 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 we always create this image that if I can just quote the scripture, then I won't sin. And I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way because let's go with a couple of things. One, Jesus did not have a sin nature. He was holy. He was God. So clearly he wasn't going to sin. He couldn't sin or he wouldn't be God. All right. So, so let's not forget that. We're like, say what Jesus did. If Jesus quoted scripture and he stopped sinning, if I quote scripture, I'll stop sinning. Well, he didn't have a sinful nature and he was God. I'm not God and I have a sinful nature. So let's, let's get a, I mean, come on. Let's, we gotta, we gotta not sell this in a way that just is so misleading. Uh, and it's also on foodforyoursoul.net. It's called scripture memorization class. <laughs> the elders got together and we came up with that title. Um, uh, but for now, let me just say this. The best tool I know of for scripture memorization is by far uh, scripturetyper.com. I've been memorizing scripture all my life. I've memorized thousands of verses. I, I can tell you without hesitation, scripturetyper.com makes memorizing scripture ten times easier than any other method I've ever tried. Typer, yeah, scripture typer. So it's an online thing, or you can get an app on your phone, and uh, uh, I do it on my computer, and you just you just learn the verse. It hides every other word at first, you know, and and then every opposite words, and then you just you do that a couple times, then you can type out the word, and and you don't have to type it all out. You can just set it so that you only t- touch the first letter of each word, and it puts the whole word there, so you can go really fast, and and um, it's fun. I mean, it's just fun, and 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 uh, it it makes it easy, and then it it reminds you when it's time to review that verse, you know. And, you can set it to remind you whatever, however often you want. He's memorized thousands of verses, so I'm assuming what has he? I mean, I, I mean, all I'm saying is it's got to be all. I guess what I'm trying to say because I don't want anyone to misinterpret me is so if you memorize thousands of verses, you sin less than everyone else. I mean, you still got the same sinful nature. So. Uh, I've just found that very, very helpful. ScriptureTyper.com. Okay, so uh, if you want to subject yourself to the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's influence, you gotta you gotta read the Word. You gotta listen to the Word every day. You've got to memorize portions of it. And then a third thing, you gotta understand it. Right? You gotta understand. You could read the Bible cover to cover and memorize. Okay, so now you gotta read. You gotta memorize. Now, understanding. I'm assuming. I'm hoping. He's getting ready to say study. I'm hoping he's going to say study. I'm going to be very curious to know what this study method is he's going to put forth, but let's go. Let's see. There's every single verse, and if you don't understand it, it's worthless. Or if you don't know how it applies to life, what good is it? Uh, Most of the time, when a Christian struggles to read his Bible, it's not because he, he has no appetite for the Word of God. That's what I've found. What I've found is, now if somebody has no appetite to, for the Word of God, it's questionable whether that person can be saved. I mean, that's just, it's just unlikely that the person is saved. But All right, so here we go now. Here we go. So, all right, uh, salvation. So just make sure when you evangelize, you need to evangelize this way. You are a sinner, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and desire Scripture, and you will be saved. And people say, no, 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 no. It's not a requirement for salvation. It's proof of salvation. But if something is proof of salvation, it's a requirement for salvation because you're saying you're not saved unless you have it. So here's the question. How much appetite must one have for scripture in order to be saved? Now, I know people who are hardcore lordship, 
hardcore lordship. And they go, they, they won't, they don't care to study. They don't read that much. They don't study that much, but they're like, Hey, this person is probably not saved. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Now, if, if appetite for scripture is proof of salvation, oh, I know a whole lot of Christians who are not going to heaven, okay? Because I would I would really call into question their appetite. Like how, what, what do you mean by an appetite? Here, here's what I know. When it comes to physical food, typically appetite equals eating, right? You're hungry, you eat. So it'd be very difficult for me, for someone to say, oh, I have a hunger for it. I just never do it. No, I think appetite would equal action. So now it would be, how much time do you study? How much time do you read? How much time do you spend memorizing it? So now we're going to, now salvation is going to come down to basically how much you read and how much you study. Well, I'm sorry. That That's, <laughs> once again, you're not saved by an imputed righteousness. You're saved by the amount of scripture you desire, I guess. I, I, it's, uh... Here we go. We're still a million miles away from Matthew 14. But typically what I've found is there's a lot of people, they don't read their Bible, but they, they do have an appetite to understand the Bible. They want to know it. The reason they don't read it is because every time they try to read it, they don't understand what they're reading or they understand it, but they don't know how to apply it. And it's not. Okay, now I love this. I love this. I lo- okay, we got more doublespeak. I don't know if you remember just a little while ago, He claimed that because we have the Holy Spirit, he gives us understanding, right? He said that just a little while ago, that the Holy Spirit, he enlightens our eyes. He grants us understanding. Well, then how can you be a Christian, desire to read it, but can't understand it if the Holy Spirit is the one giving the understanding? More doublespeak, more like, I, I, this is driving me, and I hear Christians say this all the time, right? Like, the, the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. Well, if he's guiding us into all truth, why are there thousands and thousands of different denominations and nobody can agree on how to interpret one verse? I, I got questions. But what another thing, it's this really weird thing like, okay, look, 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 look. The Holy Spirit gives you the understanding. The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. But you don't get that until you follow my study method. Now, if you follow my study method, then that will activate the Holy Spirit to give you the understanding. It's so convoluted. Let, let's see how he, let's see, does he try to fix this in any way? He's already said the Holy Spirit's the one to give us understanding. Now he's saying that most Christians who have a hunger for scripture but don't read is because they don't understand. Well, I, okay, I, why don't they understand? I thought the Holy Spirit gave them the understanding. Helpful for them. And so nothing is more boring than reading something you don't understand, right? Nothing is more boring than that. I can tell you after years of school, nothing's more boring than reading things you don't understand. And, and so it's important for, to, to understand. Now, if you start to understand it, if you're a believer and you read and you start seeing things and they start making sense and they start fitting together and they actually help you in your day-to-day life, you're going to get addicted to that. You're going to we very quickly want to be in the Bible. You're going to want to uh, be studying. It's not going to take a huge amount of self-discipline. It'll still take some, but it won't take near as much. Uh, so it's important to understand. Get a good study Bible, use commentaries, meditate, listen to sermons on that particular passage that you're studying. Okay, so his his study method is go read what other people study. <laughs> All right, get you so read your Bible, look at the study notes, get commentaries, and listen to sermons. That that's how you supposedly study the text. None of that is study. That's learning. I am all for it. I'm all for it. But I, what, what do I always say for us for a Bible study? Set aside the, I don't want you touching a study Bible. I don't want you touching a commentary until you've do, we've done certain steps of a Bible study method. Then we just refer to those to challenge us, check our work, see if we're on the same page or, or if we're different. But he's like, just go listen to what other people tell you. Well, you do realize if you listen to a bunch of sermons on a passage, you're going to get maybe, <laughs> remember when we were studying the book of Revelation, I can't remember what chapter we were in. I, I demonstrated that there were, thir- we had 30 commentaries that gave us 51, 52, it may have been even more different interpretations, <laughs> 30 commentaries over 50 interpretations. Yeah. 
Yeah, because just listening to everyone else clarifies everything. It just makes it so simple. Hey, I don't understand this. Just go read what everyone else said about it. Come back. You'll have it all figured. You'll come back going, wait, I don't know. Wait, so do I baptize a baby or do I not baptize a baby? Wait, do we practice open, close, close communion? Wait, is it transubstantiation, consubstantiation? Is it just an ordinance or is it a sacrament? Or is it a means of grace or does it simply a, a, a memorial of something? Wait, do we, can I lose my salvation? Wait, how did I get saved? Is it a monergistic? Is it synergistic? Wait, I mean, we can just go on and on and on and on and on and on. Yeah, just go listen to other people and then you'll, you'll understand it so much better. You'll be, you'll be so enlightened. I thought the Holy Spirit's the one who did it. Now, 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 no, it's not the Holy Spirit. Now we need other people. Now we need other people who I guess is going to help us understand it. Uh, write an email to your pastor uh, and ask him questions, whatever questions you got. Um, uh, I love getting those kind of emails. Those are so much fun for me. Um, what, do whatever you can do to understand what, this passage before you move on to the next passage. Um, you need to understand two things. You need to understand what it means and, and what are the, what's the significance. How does it apply to my life? How can I put it into practice? Um, so if you read a passage of Scripture and then you move on to another passage of Scripture without figuring out those two things, it's not going to be satisfying. It's like putting a nut in your mouth and then spitting it out and then putting another nut in your mouth and spitting it out before you ever get through the shell. And it's just like, that's not going to give you any nutrition. Um, and it's not going to be very pleasurable. So strive to understand the scriptures and, and uh, read, um, listen, memorize, understand, and then one more, do it. <laughs> do it. Be a doer of the word. Put it into practice. James says if you listen to the word, you don't do what it says. That's worthless. Um, we- Just do it. Just do it. Well, This whole thing is about people enslaved to sin. So now it's just read your Bible and just do it. And then the problem solved. Now, now remember, supposedly these are the steps to get the power. So am I just reading and doing? And if I do, then I get the power. Like, I don't understand. So I'm I'm supposed to do all this stuff in order to get the power. Now he's just telling me, read the Bible and just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Isn't it that simple? Hey, everyone, just do what the Bible says. It says, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Just do it. Of course, you're never going to do that. Hey, love your neighbor. Just do it. Hey, be ye holy as God is holy. Just, okay, yeah, yeah. You, you realize at some point you're like, well, wait a minute. I, how does this work? So I'm so confused because we're, we're free, but we can be enslaved. But we volunteered to be enslaved, but we can't unvolunteer to get out of being enslaved. So we have to go through a process. And the reason we're enslaved is because, well, I, well remember, when you're enslaved, that's what you used to be, but you're no longer that because you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified. However, you can still be enslaved, but it proves that at any moment you can stop. But the only way you're going to stop is you've got to go through counseling. Now, if you go through counseling, you need a mentor. But here's the reason you're enslaved, because you're lacking three things. What are you lacking? You're lacking power. Now, uh, you're lacking fulfillment and you're lacking fear. Now, if you, the way to get the power is you've got to do some things. What do you have to do to get power? You've got to pray. You got to pray. You need to improve the quality and the quantity of your prayer. If you pray, you get the power. Now, you've got to try to discipline yourself in your own power so that you can get the power. What else do you need to do? You need the Bible. You need the Bible. And what do you need to do? You need to read it. You need to read it and read it and read it and read it and read it. What else do you need to do? You need to memorize it, memorize it, memorize it, memorize it. What do you need to do? You must understand it. He didn't really tell us. He didn't give us even a hint at a Bible study method. All right. But we, 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 we have to understand it. And then we have to do it. Now, if I do all of those things, then I guess now I get the power. Now I get the power. Now I can overcome sin. But if I'm doing the word of God, Obviously, I'm doing it before I got the power because this is supposed to be the step to get the power. So am I doing this? And if I'm doing the word of God, then I'm obviously not enslaved to sin, right? Because if I'm doing it, then I'm obeying it. I, 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 we, I oh man, okay. We need to be doers of the word. Um, a really great practice that I've found is... Uh, after you finish your morning devotions, 
write out this statement. Today I will fill in the blank. What? Please note, this is literally, this entire program is, from a theological perspective, law, 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 law. Do, do, do. None of this has been focused on what Christ has done for you, on imputed righteousness, on grace. Even when he mentioned grace, you have to do something in order to get the grace. All these steps he's giving you is how you supposedly get the grace. You get the grace by your efforts, which is insane. This is such a works-based, law-based system. And I still, I, oh, I, where is Matthew 14? What are you going to do today to put this thing that you just read in the Bible into practice? Today I will. Boom. Because we, it's so easy for us to fall into being content with just stuffing more and more information into our brain. And like, wow, that's a new piece of information. That's awesome. I'm so, you know, and some of us, we get all excited about new pieces of information in the brain. You know? And it's, it's just really easy to... I started doing this. I, found, I was amazed how often I thought I had a great devotion. And so then I'm like, today I will. And I just, I just like, okay, I need to go back to <laughs> and, and think through, well, how am I going to put this into practice? Um, come up with a specific plan. Now, if you, if you follow his logic, you're putting in this into practice in order to get the grace to get the power. These are all supposedly the steps we have to do to get the power. So you, are you doing this in your power? How you're going to do it that day. Um, uh, one thing you'll notice when I give the godliness training exercises each week, there will always be a doing exercise. Don't skip over that one. All right, so uh, I told you there's three primary ways that the Holy Spirit exerts influence. He exerts influence through prayer. He exerts his influence through Scripture. One more. He exerts his influence through the gifts of the Spirit. The reason they call... All right, we'll stop right... We're going to stop right there. We're going to stop right there. I wanted to finish the third one, but I, at this point, he's now never going to get to Matthew 14. I am baffled by this. I'm a little I'm a little frustrated by this. Where is my I'm looking. Oh, here it is. Here's my paper. I got to mark down where we are. We're 45 minutes and 17 uh, sec or 45 minutes. Hang on. 45 minutes and I'm going to put 35 seconds. And the third thing, the gifts of the spirit. All right, and I don't, I, I'm assuming we got to do something to get the gifts of the Spirit. I don't know anymore. I don't even know what in the world this is. I'm literally, and, and I'm not saying that just to be hyperbolic or dramatic. It's just trying to follow this, and I still don't understand. I've went back and checked now multiple times, and every single time I've checked, the text for this sermon is Matthew 14 and Mark 6, and ladies and gentlemen, we're 45 minutes into this sermon, and they've not even been read. They've not even been mentioned. And this is the most convoluted stuff I've ever heard in my life. To, grace is what changes you. The way you get the grace is by doing, 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 doing. Meaning you have to earn the grace. That's, that's so theologically just... A, a train wreck. I, I don't have any other words for it. You, you, you're free, but you're not free. But the only reason you're not free is because you willingly chose to do so, but you can't willingly get out of it, even though you're not supposed to be doing those things because you've been changed, but yet you haven't been changed completely because you can still be enslaved. So now the reason you're enslaved is because you're missing three things in your life, not because of depravity in your life. And that's you're missing power. You're missing fulfillment in God and you're missing fear of God. And now the way you get that power is you've got to do things. So how do you get power in your own strength? You pray more. More, you read your Bible more, you memorize scripture, you study more, and you do what it says, and then you get the gifts of the Spirit. And all of this you're doing in your strength. I, I'm assuming the gifts of the Spirit, he's not going to tell us we do it in our own strength, but everything else has to be done in our own strength because all of this is supposed to tell us how we get to the power so that we can overcome sin. It is maddening. It is like, I, I'm literally just baffled. 
but we have 31 minutes left. We're going we're gonna to drive this train until, until we get to the station. Um, the train may be on fire by the time we get there. And again, this is, has nothing to do with this person. This has nothing to do with this church. It's irrelevant. They're not, I'm not even worried. This, this way of thinking, this convoluted doublespeak, it is, it's such a part of the Christian world. It, the the evangelical world constantly speak like this, and so I, on one hand, it's not even about them. This is this is really just emblematic of what's going on in Christianity constantly. What I'm baffled by is how in the world is Matthew 14 the text for this sermon? Right, I'm, and that's the only reason we started this. <laughs> I know what you're saying. See, next time. Next time you'll listen. But see, the minute I do that, I'm not going to review the sermon. If I listen to it, I'm not going to review it. And the reason I'm not going to do that is because I feel that then I'm rehearsing and I don't want that. I want it to be real. So we'll we'll, we'll have more of these adventures in 2023. But there you go. I, I don't I don't know what to tell you what to do with any of that. I can tell you this: what he gave you as study is not study. Study is having Bible study methods that are observational in nature so that you can learn to observe the text using different methods, outlining different things, learning to do the research. Uh, Remember, there's 12 basic methods of Bible study. You know, you've got the thematic, you've got the topical, you've got the biographical, you've got chapter analysis, uh, a book uh, background, book survey, uh, the devotional method, all the different methods. And you use these methods and learn these steps so that you can observe the text not listening to sermons and reading commentaries so that you can see what it says because until you can you can't interpret until you've observed he's not even telling you really to do much observation of the text other than reading it and maybe memorizing a, a verse here or there but then you're immediately going to the commentaries well then no You've got to do the observation because the more you know what's there, then the better equipped you are not to be deceived when someone says, this is what the text means. All right. I I don't know what to do. I don't even know where to class. We're going to leave this in the Bible study exercise, but I feel bad that these messages are going to be left in that series because this was supposed to be our, hey, we're going to figure out Matthew 14 and... How did I get here? How, how, how did I end up here? Like I, I'm questioning my decisions in life. How did I end up here? I know this, the next time I start broadcasting and it's getting close to evening time, what I must do is turn on the light behind me because I forgot to turn on the light and it's basically almost dark in this room. So um, I, that, yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad I didn't have to try to read my Bible. I'd be like trying to hold it to the laptop going, okay, I think it says, all right. He didn't quote really any scripture. So there you go. All right. Uh, Maybe we'll finish this tonight. We have 31 minutes left. So maybe we'll have a dramatic conclusion tonight after church. But at 7 p.m. we'll be live streaming Law and Gospel, ladies and gentlemen. Law and Gospel, one of the most important series we've ever done. Go listen to all the episodes. Understanding Law and Gospel. I think we're fast approaching 45, 46, 47 hours. Maybe over 50 hours of teaching so far. And um, it's been good. It's been fun. So listen to it. All right, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Even though this has not been very helpful, please remember this week, Matthew 14. What do we do with that? And what does it teach us about fear? All right, thanks for listening. God bless.